Good morning. Boy, it's good to see everybody. Hey, you know, we're going to be in uh, where? Deuteronomy chapter 6. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you didn't bring your Bible with you today, we have Bibles right here for you. Ernest and Steve have got Bibles. Just put up your hand. They will put a Bible right in your hand. Uh, this is so important uh, to follow along and read along in the Word of God here at Calvary Chapel. We pretty much go right through the Bible verse by verse. Uh, so that you can kind of follow along with us and see that, uh, make sure that I'm not going off on some crazy tangent. You know me. Yeah, I'm not really a crazy tangent kind of guy, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to take this one home. This in your hands. If you don't have a Bible at home, this is your Bible now. Take it home. Make it, th- this is, now open it up and look at it during the week. Sunday's great. Sunday's great. But take this Bible home and read it during the, the week and see what God has to speak to you. Uh, so before we get started, why don't we pray? You think we should pray? I, th- I think we should definitely pray. <sighs> Lord, I just thank you so much for this uh, time and opportunity this morning. Lord, as we open up your word and, and listen for what you have to say to us today, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be prepared, softened up, ready to receive your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that any resistance that we have right now might melt away, Lord. Any distraction that we have that might be uh, trying to get in today about what else we might have going on later today, Lord, it can wait till later today. Lord, let us be here. Let us be present. Let us be now ready to receive your word. Lord, would you just take this over? Would you take these words and notes and sticky things that I have, Lord, and would you use it to paint a masterpiece this morning? Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you've been with us from the beginning of Deuteronomy, um, you're going to see right at the right, uh, you'll know that Moses has been spending quite a bit of time um, preparing this new generation to go in. And he keeps on telling them about the commandments and what God has said to do and what he's saying. You need to kind of follow these things when you go into the land. And it's, it's getting to be, maybe seem a little repetitive. Maybe, I mean, listen, this, this group of people, that they're ready to go into the promised land. And they're like, yes, Moses, all right, we're ready. We're gonna, we can see it. It's right there. There's the river, and, and we're going to cross over, and we're going into that land. And yes, we, we've heard, and we've heard everything you have to say, Moses. And I'm sure that there are some people who are sitting there, and they're, they're listening to Moses. And at some point, they must be thinking, okay, okay, Moses, what's up with this guy? <laughs> It's just going on and on and on. And maybe they're thinking, yes, Moses, we get it. One God. Don't kill people. Don't steal stuff. Yada, yada. Let's go. <laughs> oh, they're not ready. Sometimes I feel like we think of the same thing. We're like, okay, yes, God. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Can we just get on with it? You know, God says, I have an appointed time for everything. And my appointed time is perfect. God, through my wife this morning, reminded me of this verse. It's in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes it in his first letter. He says that those who think they know something don't yet know it as they ought to know it. (laughs) That's pretty wise. Those who think they know something 
He says, don't yet know it like they ought to know it. Now, I'm taking that from God, not my wife. But she, <laughs> she did remind me of that. And so I, I kind of think that there's these, these folks, and they're ready to go in, and they're like, okay, Moses, we get it. We hear, we hear what you're saying. God has commandments and judgments and statutes, and we're supposed to follow them now. Let's go. The reason I think this is because once they actually get into the promised land, which we won't read in Deuteronomy, by the way, that comes in Judges, uh, Joshua, excuse me. But once they get in there, and that's a whole process, by the way, which will really blow your mind. If you haven't read it, read through Joshua and see how they actually cross the Jordan River. When they get in there and they come to Jericho, and they're still pretty good. They're still listening to God. They're like, okay, God, what do you want to do? Because God literally comes to Joshua uh, in a really kind of scary way, and you should read that. And there's like an angel, and it's scary. And he comes and he stands before Joshua, and he says, this is what I want you to do. You're going to go in, and in order to take this giant walled city, you're just going to have the, the men of war walk around and not say anything once a day for six days. Right now, if you're a military guy or a strategist, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Let's just quietly walk around and not say anything and just show our presence, you know, show them everything we've got. Hey, in case you're wondering, here's our whole army. We're just going to show it to you, but not do anything. But then God says, you know, on that last day, on that seventh day, you're going to come and you're going to shout with a giant noise to the Lord and everything's going to come tumbling down. And if you're part of that group, you're part of that army, you're thinking, well, that sounds crazy. (laughs) But to their credit, they did it. They followed what God told them to do because, you know, they're coming fresh off of this time of God says to do, it this, do things this way so it will be well with you. And so they go in and they do what God says, even though it sounds kind of crazy. And it works. And you might think, all right, they've got a hold of it. They've grasped this idea of what God says to do, we're supposed to do. And if we do it, it will be well with us. Jericho walls are down. We did what he, what he said. It worked. And then... They look over yonder to the next city, Ai. It's just a little city. In fact, the guys come to Joshua and they go, um, and Joshua says, why don't you go scope out that city? And so they go over and they look at it and they come back and they go, you know what, Joshua, it's, there's hardly anybody there. We could totally take it. Don't even send everybody. Send, I don't know, two, 3,000 people. Now, what they don't do is they don't go and seek the wisdom of God. They don't seek his direction. They're like, well, God's good for this big city thing. But th- you know what? We got this one. We don't really, we don't need God's direction. We don't have to listen to God. And, and what happens is this couple of people, this whatever, doesn't even tell us the number of people that live in AI, they spanked them. <laughs> 36 guys died in that, in that frontal attack uh, in, in Israel. And they go running back. Now, there were some other things at play as well. You know, when, they, when Jerusalem fell, there were some people in the camp of Israel that went in and took some idols and some, some corrupt things that they weren't supposed to do. And God says, there's corruption in your camp. But there's corruption because you took things you weren't supposed to take and you made them a part of your life. But you're not seeking my direction and you're certainly not doing what I told you to do. And didn't we just spend all this time going through it? <sighs> What's the rush? That's the word I kept hearing God say over and over to me this week. What's the rush? Have we, we've just gotten to a place where we're just like, let's just get it done. Can we just get it done? Everything's fast. Everything's fast. If I did not have my Keurig coffee maker, I'd be like, I can't believe it takes like four minutes to brew a, co- a pot of coffee. <laughs> What's the rush? Hey, let's get on the road. You have a vacation planned? Let's get on the road right away so we can make good time, so we can get there, so we can get it started, so we can get it done, so we can leave early, so we can get back in really good time. Where'd the, where'd, 
What's the rush? In case you didn't know, there's like 28 more chapters of Deuteronomy of instruction and exhortation and commands and judgments and explanations and refinement, like 27 more chapters. They're going to be awesome. You know what? As I was looking through that to make sure I knew exactly how many chapters were left, I actually came upon, I said, you know what? Let me just read through again chapter 34, which is the end of Deuteronomy. You know, Moses goes through this entire book right up until the last chapter of all this instruction, and this is what God would have you do and why and from where, which we'll look at today. And then in the chapter, the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, it, it, it's 12 verses, 12 verses to say that Moses finished talking. He went up on a mountain and God said, see all of this land that you don't get to go into, but you get to look at. And Moses took a good look at it. And then it says that Moses died at 120 years old. And did you know it says that God buried him in the valley? Nobody knew where he was. It says it. No one knows where he is. God buried Moses' body in the valley. And Moses' entire eulogy is one verse. Just, Just one verse. But it's actually, I wrote it down. Since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. His entire eulogy, the greatest prophet, it says right there, the greatest prophet that ever rose out of Israel, the greatest prophet ever is eulogized in one verse. And it says that there was never a greater prophet. But why was he so great? Because of God. Not because Moses was awesome. He was great, a great prophet because God knew him closely and intimately. And oh, by the way, the reason why Moses out of this entire thing gets one verse is because it is not about us. It's not about us. It's about God. Chapter 6. Now... This is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you observe them in the land where you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson in all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Do you see something interesting right in those first two verses? Moses saying, God told me to teach you what you are to do when you are going into the land. Why? Because I'm not going with you. God is saying that I am to teach you this as you go out. See, he's making it very clear that I will no longer be the one who leads you. There will be another one who is coming to lead you, and his name is Joshua. That's right, which is really interesting. Now, we've spent a little bit of time here and there talking about how Moses represents the law and Joshua is actually the Jewish, the the Hebrew form of the name Jesus, right? And there's some pretty cool uh, comparisons between Moses and Joshua and the law and Jesus. But what I thought was really interesting when you see this is Moses saying, I'm teaching you this so that you can go in, but I'm not going to be the one who leads you. There'll be another one. Here's a distinct difference between Moses and Joshua, right? Moses was always leading from the outside. 
You remember, he wasn't living with them in Egypt. He was actually elevated because he was adopted in, by the Pharaoh's daughter. Um, he then wanted to become a part of the people, but they kind of rejected him, and he thought he would stand up for them, and he ended up killing an Egyptian, and, they were, uh, and then the, his own people were like, what, are you going to kill us too if we don't listen to what you say when he tried to break up a fight? And so he ran off into the desert where he lived for 40 years as a sheep herder for his father-in-law. Ooh, that's a quick summary. Then God got a hold of him through a burning bush, and he sent him back, and he says, you're going to go, and you're going to lead my people. And he had to go back, and he kind of had to convince them to come. And I believe that there's a part of these people that always kind of looked at Moses as being kind of on the outside. And so we see here that God is saying, it's not the one who's on the outside that's going to lead you on. It's the one who comes from within. See, Joshua was one of them. Joshua was a part of them. And I can't help to see a comparison that God says, you know, for a little while it was the law the out, from the outside leading you. But now it's time for Jesus. And Jesus leads from within. See, we say when we accept the Lord as our Savior, he comes and lives inside of our heart. And now I have the presence of the Holy Spirit within me, and that is where I live from. That is how I'm led that's what I see. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that you might live boring, miserable lives of religious <laughs> oppression. Is that, is that not what yours says? That's not what it says. But see, that's what so many people think. So many people, okay, let's just talk about outside of, you know, churched people or believers. So many people think that, oh, man, that God character that you guys, you know, pray to and all this, he's all just oppression and the, can't do this and you can't do that. And if you do this, oh, man, you, you're in trouble and, and it's, you know, you can't have any fun. How do you Christians even have fun? Hmm. Well, you know, we fellowship, we eat, we bake pies. Sometimes we go bowling, we get food trucks, uh, we, we lift each other up, we pray for one another, we go to each other's house, we drink a lot of coffee. That sounds fun. You know what we don't do? I don't wake up anymore wondering what I did the night before, hugging the toilet. Woohoo! Man, what a blast. It's, it's a mistake to think that God has given us these laws so that he can oppress us and press us down and think, you need to be miserable. If you're not miserable, if for some reason you have joy in your life, you're doing something wrong. But God says, my gift to you is joy. No, actually what it says is that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord our God and our... Uh, of, of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Have, how many people have heard that before in reference to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey? You can raise your hand. We're interactive. All right, excellent. What does that mean? What does a land flowing with milk and honey mean? This is what I've discovered. 
Nobody knows specifically what that means. Everybody has some different idea of, oh, well, it was good pasture land, and there were a lot of flowers, so that there were a lot of bees buzzing around. And that's, I read that. Maybe. That was that's, in the 70s, they were just like, free range, honey. Actually, you know, anyway. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of different understandings of, of, of milk and honey, but this is what I think it comes down to. This is, this is what I'm going to personally take away. You guys can do whatever you want with it. Um, what I see God saying is I'm leading you into a land that has everything you need plus all the things that make life sweet. Oh, milk and honey, the things that you need, nourishment to them would have been nourishment. To us, apparently, we don't drink milk anymore because that's a bad thing. No dairy. Sugar or flour or gluten or anything, no, no happiness. <laughs> Milk and honey, his, the things that, that uh, sustain us and the things that make life sweet, like fellowship. <laughs> That's where he was leading. He said, I promised you this, he says to them. I was just telling a brother this morning that the Bible says that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you become a believer, your family grows a thousandfold, a thousandfold. Look around. There's a bunch of us in, in this room right now. Um, and, uh, you know, most of you, uh, you could call on and say, look, I'm really struggling. Can you help me? And we would be like, yes. Yes, we will. We'll be there. What do you need? You need some milk? You need some honey? <laughs> That's right. A movie, coffee, fellowship, prayer. What do you need? He says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Man, first of all, if you highlight or underline anything in your Bibles, do those two verses. They're amazing verses. They're, they're called in, in, um, to, the, to the Jews, it's called the Shema. It's a prayer that they pray every morning and every evening to remind themselves of this thing. Now, it includes some other verses as well, but these two specifically. It is a, a way to remember that the, the, they are serving a Lord, a God Almighty, and that they are to love him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength. I love that. First of all, I love that it says, love the Lord. You know what? It doesn't say, serve the Lord your God. But if you love him, you will serve him. You guys are catching on fast. It doesn't say, honor him. But if you love him with all of your heart, with all your soul and all your strength, you will honor him. It doesn't say, go out and tell everyone you know about the Lord your God, but if you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength, you will tell people about him. And notice that I'm emphasizing all because it doesn't say some of your heart, soul, and strength. It says all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength, meaning it's a way of God saying um, with everything you have. We sang a song. Uh, It kind of said, make God preeminent in your life, preeminent in your life. But if I 
love him first, then I will do those things. But if I love myself first, if I love myself most, I can't do any of those things. Do you start every day by asking the Lord to help you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength? Do you ask him every morning to help you do that? I don't. I don't. I'm admitting it to you. I want to. I'm going to try to. But I don't. And what happens is that my mind and my heart start to wander in places where they shouldn't wander because he's not preeminent in my life because I'm not loving him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my strength. Oops, I'm off the carpet. And my heart and my mind start to wander, and the devil grabs a hold of that. And he urges me on in that thing, and he condemns me at the same time so that you're all turned around because you hear the devil saying, yeah, this is right, you should do this, this is great. And at the same time, he's like, look at you. Filthy Christian, what a hypocrite you are. And you don't know which way to go, and you start getting so caught up. Well, well am, I, am I doing a good thing? Is this, am, I, am I awesome, or am I a hypocrite? And the devil's like, you're all of it, and you're horrible, and you're a mess, and you should, you should. You get so caught up in it. And you don't know what's left or what's right. What's left or what's right. And then God says, but here's the answer. Look up. Just like we sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will fall away, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man. I want... To serve the Lord, to, I want to, excuse me, love the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and all of my strength. But what does that mean? What is love? Yes, thank you. Who said it? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. Mm, 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 mm. God says, love, he says to Moses to tell them, love your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says, do it. Love your God. Well, you know, but what if I don't feel loving today? What if I don't feel loving? You have a misunderstanding of love all of a sudden right here because love is not a gushy emotion Love is an act of the will. That is why God says, you can do this. You can love. Decide to love me. Jesus would say in his great, in his, when he summed up the commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself, he says. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Just do it. Just love them. Decide to. Later on, he's going to say, You've heard it written, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Love your enemy. Who feels love for their enemy? 
Who feels love? No one feels love for their enemy. That's how we know love isn't a feeling. It's an act of the will. He says, just do it. Love them. See what happens. Jesus will further clarify with his own disciples after Judas on the last night goes away, he looks at them and he says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. Oh, that's a whole nother level. I may love myself. Maybe I don't love myself that much. It happens. Then Jesus says, all right, let me just change it up here. Love everyone as I've loved you. How's that? Sacrificially, putting you, your needs before his needs, putting your life before his life. Jesus will say in that same passage, there is no greater love than this, that someone would lay their life down for a friend. Would you lay your life down? How often do you think you're going to have the opportunity to die for somebody else in this country? Probably not that often. But how often will you have the opportunity to lay down your life? You got plans today? Probably. What if someone comes up and says, look, I could really use some help moving my second floor apartment and there's a refrigerator. Are you quick to say, I'm there, brother. I'm there. Or are we like, ah, you know what? I, I got some other stuff I got to do. Hey, I, I will be praying for you, though. It's not an emotion. It's an act of your will. Cool. There's more. There's more to this verse. I, I cannot read this verse and not talk about this amazing bit of information in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I said that was the Shema. And they, 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 they will put, you'll sometimes see if you go to a Jewish person's house, they have this little, what, what's called a mezuzah. That's a fun word to say mezuzah. It's basically a little holder where they put this scripture rolled up inside there. And as they come and go, they touch it as a reminder, as a reminder of what it says, as a reminder to say, I'm, I'm to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. That's pretty cool, actually. But this verse right here, it's so just amazing. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That, to a Jewish person, might almost seem strange if they really looked at it and be like, well, what do you mean? Isn't that obvious? Why do we have to say our God is one? There's an interesting word here, the word one. There's actually two Jewish words that could be used for the word one. One is yachid. It means numerically one. If you were to see something that was singular on the ground and you would say, hey, there is one stone on the ground, yachid is the word. That's not the word used here. There's another word that is echad, and that means pl pl many things or, or more than one thing come together to form one thing. To form one thing. Do you understand what I mean? That's the word that they're using right here, echad. It means multiple things coming together to form one thing. The same word is written in Genesis in reference to where he says man will leave his uh, mother and father, and he will be joined together with his wife, and they will become echad, one. 
multiple things coming together to form one. And that is what this, this is what God said to Moses to tell the people, the Lord our God, it says Yahweh or uh, Jehovah or Yahweh, Elohim, which is just a word that means God or God's. Actually, later on in this, in this uh, verse 13, you shall, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people. That's Elohim. That word, it means God or gods. So he's saying the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, the, the one that we know, Yahweh, the God, the Yahweh is echad, multiple into one. Now, that's amazing because God is telling Moses right now, the God that you worship isn't a singular. He is made up of more than one to form one. We would call that the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God is looking down at his creation, and he's like, pretty good, pretty good. But then he says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's he talking to? Let us Go down and make man in our image. Who is he talking to? Now, you can find a rabbi who will tell you, uh, well, what he's talking to are the angels that he's already created around him. And so when he's saying to them, but that doesn't make sense because he goes on in the next verse to talk about how it's in my image, in the image of God, in the image of God they are made. He says it three times to, to leave no, no way to say that it's God talking to angels, but it is God, echad, plural, in one saying, let us go down and make them in our image. I love that. That's huge, huge. Grasp it. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, let's chat after over a piece of my winning pie. These are the words which I command you today shall be in your heart. See, he's saying that, that it, it comes from a place of love, service to God, honoring God, doing what God does. It comes from a place of your heart, from love. See, he says, put these in your heart. In Proverbs 4, 23, see, they have a different understanding. Like to us, one thing, the heart is an organ, pumps our blood through our body, right? Um, and then it's kind of become this, uh, uh, another meaning about the heart, uh, this uh, emotional place. Like that's where all of our emotions are in my heart. And people are like, follow your heart, follow your heart. And it's like, mm, I don't know. To the Jews, the heart was the place where they made, well, I have wrote it down so I wouldn't misquote it. Uh, oh, no. In Proverbs 24:23, it says, "From your heart flow all the decisions of life." See, their their understanding of the heart was that is where they make all of their most important decisions from their heart. So, whereas we would say, "Well, we make those from our brain," to them they said, "It's from your heart that you make all the decisions of life." And so God is saying, "Okay, 
then, then hide this information in your heart. Make your decision from that place in your heart. Make your decision from understanding that it is through love for me that you will do all the things that I'm commanding you to do. So it will be well with you. It will be well with you. Then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Before, right at the beginning, he says uh, in verse 1, the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. That word teach right there, it means to instruct. He says, I'm supposed to instruct you in these ways. But now he's talking about take all this learning that you've gained from me and now also teach it diligently to your children. That's a different understanding or different meanings. Teach diligently is different. It means, um, literally it means repeatedly. That word diligently means repeatedly. But there's a further refinement of that word. It's not just repeatedly. It was a word that was used when you were talking about sharpening a blade with a stone. Have you ever done that? Any Boy Scouts here? Do you just get to slide that down the blade one time and it's sharp? No, it's over and over and over and over again for the purpose of what? Making that blade sharp and useful. My dad used to tell me that the the most dangerous thing I could have was a knife or an ax with a dull blade. A dull blade, you're much more likely to hurt yourself with a dull blade than with a sharp blade. And so he says, what you are to do is to diligently teach these things to your children over and over and over again. Not one time. It's not like you sit down one time and say, kids, I'm going to explain the whole Bible to you once and then you should have it. And you're on your own. I'm done. I taught you the Bible. We're good. In fact, it's the same for us, right? I mean, here we are. How many times have you, uh, anybody here read the Bible one time and be like, I'm good. I read the whole thing all the way through. I'm good. Doesn't work that way. God teaches us diligently through the reading of his word, through coming here, through fellowship, and we're back to that. But he says, teach your children. Not just sit down and give them a lesson. It says when you go out, when you come in, when you sit down, when you lie, when, when you sit down and lie down and get up and all these things. What he's saying is all the time, all the time and whatever you're doing, if God is preeminent in your life, then you will be constantly, diligently, repeatedly teaching your children these same things. My daughter said to me, things are caught, not taught. Caught, not taught. You know, kids are amazing at discerning hypocrisy in your life. <laughs> right? They're around you all the time. So if, if I'm standing up here and telling you all this stuff, this is why I am brutally honest about myself. Because that I know that my children are here, and they'll be like, hmm. <laughs> they will see, they will know, so that you need to live it. If God is preeminent in your life, then you will live in a way that will show them over and over and over again when you're going out, when you're outside of the, your house, when you're inside of your house, when you're sitting down for dinner, when you're watching TV, whenever you're doing whatever it is you're doing, you are teaching your children. What are you teaching them? What are you teaching them? Whew. 
You cannot give it over to anyone else. We have a very well-done Sunday school program here at this church, and I am happy if you put your kids in there. Great. But we do not replace your responsibility to teach your children. Let me put it this way. How many of you would feed your children one good meal a week and then think, they're good? <laughs> yep, a couple of you, okay. <laughs> now I know more of the problem. You can't say, oh, I'm feeding my children one time this week, and that should get them through everything they need. That's ridiculous. But if you're bringing your kids here and plopping them in our Sunday school room and then never revisiting that idea of teaching them the word of God, then that is what you're doing. You're feeding them one good meal a week. It won't work. They'll starve to death. Now, that doesn't mean that even though you're pouring in and you're pouring in and you're pouring in, it says, you know, uh, teach the children, teach your children the way they should go. And in the end, they will, uh, I forget the verse, that they won't depart from it. And many of you have children probably right now who have departed, even though you've been like, but I, but I, but I, I taught them. Listen, they still have to choose it from themselves. Every one of us has to choose a relationship with Jesus Christ for our own. My parents did a fantastic job of raising me in the church. And when I got to college, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Nobody's making me go to church. <laughs> we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so when I got out on my own, I was like, I don't need that. I don't need to go every time the church is open. Sunday's fine. But when you're living in the dorms by yourself and Sunday morning comes around and you had a late night Saturday, you know, reading books and such. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you know, next time or may maybe I'll go tonight or whatever. And, and pretty soon you're just like, you start to drift. Didn't we talk about that last week? You start to drift. And you're drifting away. And pretty soon I was to a place where I, I can't even believe that I said this because I grew up in church. And I, at some point in my 20s, was like, you know what, God, he is whatever, whatever you need God to be. You need God to be God, fine. If you need him to be some kind of overall force or tree or, or that dung beetle, whatever God is for you, that's great for you. Oh, man, I shuddered. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God didn't come back at that moment. Because even though I was brought up in a way that honored God, I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ of my own, and I would have been lost. Lost. Moses urges them, teach these things to your children regularly, constantly. And it's not, uh, okay, kids, it's time for uh, our Bible lesson now. It's let your life teach them. Let your life teach them. When you go out, when you come in, when you sit down, when you get up. He says in verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and as, as they shall be as frontlets before your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I talked about the mezuzah, but they also would take um, the scripture and write it down and put it in a little a, a leather box called a phylactery and they would put it on their for the back of their hand or their forearm and they would strap it on and then they would put one on their forehead as well so that it was like a frontlet before their eyes and on their doorposts. And do you want to know something? 
I don't see any place in the Bible where Jesus says, don't do that, it's wrong. I also don't see any place where he actually did that himself. So I don't see him condemning it. I don't see him doing it either. I don't see him making it something that had to be done. But this is what I do see. He did condemn condemn the Pharisees for being about the phylacteries. They made them bigger, he says. They make their phylacteries bigger than they're supposed to be or than they should be because they wanted people to see these enormous phylacteries. The, The bigger the phylactery, the more holy I am, the more I'm praying. And they would walk around with these big phylacteries. That's another fun word to say. Try it later. Yeah. I said later. You know, and so we could, we could look at that and we could say, oh, they were all, it was all outward, phylacteries on their hands and their forehead, it was all outward. It got me to thinking, like, how come our Christian t-shirts aren't printed upside down so that we can wear them and read them to ourselves? We're actually wearing them to say, read. Because otherwise we'd be like, oh, yeah, this is a good reminder to me. Right? Right? What about your Bible verse Facebook posts? I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying, why are you posting that? Is it to get everyone else to see, or is it a reminder for you that then you're also just sharing? And I don't want you to, I'm just throwing that out there. Throwing out this, to examine your motivation. I put on a Christian t-shirt. Do I, is it a reminder to me? Maybe, if I, maybe they should not be upside down backwards. So when I look at myself in the mirror, I can read the message. Just don't let your t-shirts and your Facebook posts become oversized phylacteries that are signs to everybody else out there saying, look how holy I am. Let your life reflect the relationship that you have and your words and your actions and all of that. So, verse 10, so it, will be, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Do you see what he's doing right here? He's saying that when you go into this land and you end up with all these amazing blessings, houses and cities that you didn't build yourself, but you now have, um, cellars filled with food, wells dug that you didn't dig, all this stuff. He says in verse 12, beware lest you forget. Remember we talked about the word forget what that means? Not like, I mean, I know there was something I was supposed to be thankful for. No, it means to intentionally set aside. He says, beware. Now, this isn't just in regards to don't set aside the things the Lord told you. What does it say? Don't set aside the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. See, he's saying, look, you're going to go in and you're going you're to receive all these incredible blessings. Don't forget who gave them to you. Don't set aside the one. It's like saying that they're so focused on the blessings that they forgot 
to think about or be thankful to the one who blessed them. Don't be so hyper-focused on the blessings that you forget the blesser. <sighs> you know it's Thanksgiving Thursday? How many of you guys remember Thanksgiving? <laughs> it's Thursday. It was like summer yesterday. I feel like it's... But now it's, it's Thanksgiving. And I was thinking about Thanksgiving, you know. It's actually one of those holidays that... Um, well, on the one hand, it feels like they, they just haven't, the, they, the, the corruptive you know, world, whatever, haven't gotten a hold of this one. Like Christmas, they totally got like, ah, Christmas, ick. No, let's make it about Santa and toys and, 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 and all this other stuff and decorations and the stupid elf on the shelf. <laughs> Excuse me. The elf on the shelf. And all the other trappings. And you know what? Oh, Christmas, that sounds... Mm, 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 mm. No, not Christmas. Let's say holidays. And they've corrupted it and they've taken it. And they're like, all right, you know, Christmas is about the arrival of Jesus Christ as a baby so he could be our savior. The, the salvation of all of us, the, the, the solution to sin. That's what Christmas is. All right. It's not all the other stuff. And, and, they, and they've taken, they've ripped it away, and they said, no, it's about this stuff. Do you know, by the way, um, it occurred to me that in, in England, they still say, they say happy Christmas. That's, does that sound so weird? Happy Christmas. But they still say it. Maybe it's the merry part that everyone over here is just so upset about. Let's just start saying happy Christmas, because people will be like, oh, happy, happy Christmas. And they'll forget to be mad at us because we said Christmas. I'm going with Happy Christmas this year. Happy Christmas. They'll be like, what? You, you too. What, what did you just say? Wisdom. Forget, I mean, Easter. Blah. I mean, the world has taken Easter and then just been like, no, no, get away. You know, religious talk. Easter's about eggs and flowers and big hats and Easter bunnies and, and all that stuff. And, 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 but Thanksgiving, everyone seems to be okay with that. The, actually, the concept of it, Thanksgiving. They didn't change the name. It's still Thanksgiving. It's always been, as far as, you know, since I was a kid, which is like a long, long time ago. It's still Thanksgiving. We still call it Thanksgiving, right? So I'm grateful for that. We'll get together. We'll be thankful. But here's where the split happens. Now, exactly what he's warning them against right here. They were thankful. When was the first Thanksgiving? You guys remember? Like you were there. It's 1651, right? 1651. First Thanksgiving. They were thankful for God's provision and getting them through a really hard winter. They were thanking God for getting them through the winter, and that's kind of how it's gone on and on and on and on. And so we're sitting here, and we're like, well, we're having Thanksgiving, and, and friends will come over, and we'll have a lot of food because they had a lot of food, uh, and we'll celebrate, and we'll say, and, and, and hopefully in your house, you're saying, thank you, Lord, for the provision that you have provided this family to get us through another year. Thank you, Lord. Everything we have is because of you. Everything on this table is because of you. We're not just thankful for the blessings we're thankful to the one who has blessed us. That's where the world is starting to go away. They're going to be like, well, we're really thankful for all that we have. No stop. As if they somehow provided it all for themselves. I'm thankful to me 
for all that I have provided for me, all the food that you see here on this table, thank you to me. Me, Thanksgiving is me, me giving. I don't, I'm not even going to suggest because next thing I know, it'll be out on some big billboard, a new name for Thanksgiving. He says, don't forget. Don't forget what? The Lord, not the commandments even. Don't forget, don't set aside the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do not become transfixed on the blessings themselves, but fix your eyes on the one from whom the blessings come. And since it's Thanksgiving and it's timer's up, I'm going to end right there. And we'll pick up the rest of this chapter next week. There's a lot. I just threw out a lot at you right there. Well, the main thing that I want you to walk away from today is that God must be preeminent in your life and you must love him because from that love flows everything else. How do you serve God? You love him. How do you serve others? You love God first. How do you serve others the best way? You love them like God loved you. Do you get it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We are thankful at all that you provide, at all that you do, how you love us. Lord, how you want it to be well with us, and so you direct us and you guide us and you give us guidance and commandments and judgments and statutes that we are to follow as well. Not because you choose to oppress us, Lord, but because you love us. And you, you tell us to love you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And as if to say, those who keep my commandments really do love me. Help us to love you. Lord, Is my prayer right now, right now for every one of us in this room, Lord, that we would love you for the rest of this day with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we go out of this place, we start, we end the day with that, Lord. We start the day with that, Lord. Help us to remind, because Lord, I believe that if we ask you to help us love you with all of our heart and soul and strength, you will do it. That is your will. Lord, I thank you for your son, the, the, the greatest provision of all. Your son, Jesus, Lord, where you looked down and said, this is the way to be forgiven of your sins through my son, Jesus Christ, who has come and died for you so that you might be saved. You need believe and call upon his name. That's the gospel, gang. What is your response to that? Lord, I pray for this body here today, this family that's come together. Lord, I pray for healing. Lord, I pray for softened hearts. I thank you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.